Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. We've got some late-breaking news coming up when I bring Itamar Marcus to this broadcast table. Remember, he heads up Palestinian Media Watch, and they have petitioned the State Department here in the United States that this man, this leader of the Palestinian people, but also a terrorist, he is in charge of leading the Palestinian people and supposedly is going to represent them at the United Nations General Assembly later this week. Well, there's a little kink in that. We'll get to Itamar in the second half hour, so keep the dial set right where it is. Ken Timmerman back home in the catbird seat in Washington. We'll go to him in just a moment. Let me remind you that we go out and do meetings all the time. And if you're a church listening to this broadcast, you would like to have us come and share our ministry of teaching Bible prophecy, looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. Get a hold of Jody at 423-825-6247, or you can send an email to her, jody at prophecytoday.com. Love to have the privilege and opportunity to come teach your congregation the prophetic word of God. Now, I'm going to do that right here in Chattanooga. We're going to stay home. The motel is my home, my bed. I'm excited about that. We'll be at the Hickory Valley Baptist Church, and we're going to be there Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Dr. David Kemp has invited us to be there. Start on Sunday morning, 930, then 1045. We'll have a Prophecy Q&A, 5 o'clock on Sunday, 6 p.m. the service, and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at 6.30 with Q&A before that. By the way, on Monday night, I'm going to be teaching from the Word of God when the kingdom, when Jesus Christ will be ruling and reigning from the location in Jerusalem at a temple he builds when he's going to do that. And it's right in the Word of God. We'll study that Monday night. So try to get together and bring a group over to the Hickory Valley Baptist Church here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, I better get right to Ken Timmerman, a lot to talk about. Ken, uh, we know that there was a, a Russian recon plane that was shot down, and it was shot down actually by the Syrians. And then there were a lot of accusations, and especially Syria, saying uh, that the Israeli jets who had come in did a strike on some munitions that were going to be moved to Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. They were responsible. And then, of course, uh, here we are now with the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, at first He's saying he's going to retaliate, then he loosened up a little bit. Well, uh, it looks like an accident. Okay, don't let it happen again. What are your thoughts? Isn't it amazing, Jimmy, the way things work in the Middle East and with <laughs> anti-Semites the world over? Yeah. Uh, the Syrians down a Russian plane, and who gets blamed? The Israelis. <laughs> Blame it on the Jews. I mean, excuse me, it, this doesn't pass the smell test. The Russians and the Syrians at one point claimed that Israeli fighter jets were hiding behind this Ilyushin 20 plane, which is a, it's an ELINT, an electronic intelligence aircraft, airborne advanced command post, but it's an old propeller plane, okay? And the Israeli jets are F-16s with the twin fighter jet engines in them. And you're going to say they're going to be hiding behind a lumbering old casket like that? Um, <laughs> it's a ridiculous allegation that they've made. The Syrians are completely incompetent. They just showed that by shooting down their own allies' recon plane. And 
I notice also there's a big difference in the rhetoric that's coming from Putin himself, uh, who took two calls this week from Benjamin Netanyahu uh, expressing his condolences for uh, the deaths of all 15 crew members on that Russian plane, and his defense secretary, Sergei Shogu, who uh, was blaming the Israelis and threatening all kinds of retaliation for it. So I think it's pretty clear who runs the show in Moscow and I don't think this is going to permanently damage Russian-Israeli relations, and I don't think it's going to really impact much the way the Israelis operate in Syria. Russia has allowed them a free hand to interdict Hezbollah arms supplies from Iran and hit Iranian targets, and I don't think that's about to stop. And in one of those phone calls from uh, the Prime Minister of Israel to Vladimir Putin, he reported to him that those F-16, Israeli F-16s, were already back in Israeli airspace before that plane was shot down. Quite interesting. However, Russia seems to be beefing up their air defense and uh, putting aircraft in the air to curtail some of the Israeli times of attacking there in Syria and what's going on and what they have to do to protect themselves. I mean, you just reported... They're going to look the other way. What, you think that's going to play out, or will Russia be tougher? I, I don't think Russia will be tougher. They're going to bring some additional air defense batteries into their air base near Latakia on the Mediterranean coast. They may bring some additional aircraft, but I don't see at this point that it's aimed really explicitly at Israel. They may say that it is, but I don't think they're going to use them to keep the Israelis from flying over Syrian airspace. If they did, that would be a very major development, and it would be a huge setback for Israel and a huge setback for the United States, because the Israelis are the only ones at this point who are really checking the Iranian advance across Iraq into Syria and eventually into Lebanon up on Israel's northern border. Well, it looks like Russia, though, is still going to realize that they have a pretty powerful position in the Middle East now. And in fact, they're making the statement that in the eastern Mediterranean, there's going to be no air or sea traffic for military exercises. So they're probably going to uh, take a bit stronger hold and let everybody in the Middle East know they're there. Uh, yes, that was a snap announcement on Thursday when they said they were going to be holding these sudden exercises. And it's both a message to the United States, because we have an aircraft carrier group, the USS Harry Truman, that is en route to the Med with the whole carrier battle group, something like 72 uh, aircraft fighter jets on board, as well as to the Israelis. So, yes, that is a message. I remind our listeners, Russia's military presence in Syria began in 2015 after President Obama had issued a red line to Syria, uh, don't use chemical weapons. Syria used chemical weapons, and the United States did nothing. So Russia filled that power vacuum created by the United States in 2015, and uh, frankly, uh, the Trump people, are, they're trying to repair the damage that has already been done. The Israeli F-16s that went in and did an airstrike there in Syria were going after the munitions that were trying to be transported over to Hezbollah. Hezbollah now comes and says those precision rockets, despite Israel's strike, came out of Syria. They now have them. That's a bit of bravado, maybe. Will it make them more dangerous? Well, Hezbollah already has uh, well over 100, some estimates, 150,000 
rockets uh, pointed at Israel. Many of them are precision-guided, and they already have those weapons. The Israelis were trying to prevent new deliveries from reaching uh, Hezbollah and Lebanon, but obviously they have not taken out the weapons that are already there. What I thought very interesting in that speech by the Hezbollah leader, Nasrallah, on Thursday was not the fact that he said, well, we've already got precision weapons, but this quote here, he said, if Israel imposes a war on Lebanon, Israel will face a fate and a reality mm. it is never expected on any day. Mm. Now, that sounds very belligerent on the face of it, but listen to that closely. If Israel imposes a war on Lebanon, in other words, if Israel attacks Lebanon, well, Israel is not, at this point, preparing to attack Lebanon. What Hezbollah is essentially saying is that we are not going to unilaterally attack Israel with our rockets. That's a pretty big tell. It certainly is. Wow, that's very interesting. See, that's why we have Ken Timmerman. His analysis, unbelievable, as he looks even into the words of a high-ranking terrorist, Nasrallah, who is head of uh, the Hezbollah. I need to ask you about the Israelis allowing, and we've talked about this many times on this broadcast, Ken, the fact that Iran is building a land bridge from Iran through Iraq, through Syria, through Lebanon, over to the Mediterranean. And it's being stated now that Israel's going to make a big mistake like they did there. They weren't alert in 73 for the Yom Kippur War. They better not allow that land bridge to go through Syria. Well, uh, the problem is uh, it's already been established. And there was not too much the Israelis could do about it because, first of all, the presence of Russian troops and Russian air force uh, along the way. Second, uh, the fact that there's a sovereign state, Iraq, that controlled the land bridge itself, especially that you know those border crossings between Iraq and Syria, and third, because of the presence of U.S. troops. So the Israelis are a bit over the barrel on this one. Mm-hmm. What they're trying to do, and they have been doing this consistently and continue to do it, it's what led to the downing of the Russian aircraft, according to the Russians this week. What they're trying to do is to whack the Iranians wherever they find them in Syria, in those parts of Syria that they can access with their air force. They can't access the entire land bridge route, if you will, but they can certainly access some of the endpoints and some of the military bases that the Iranians have set up. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to weaken Iran's overall power base in Syria by airstrikes. Uh, I think they have inflicted serious damage. The question is, is it enough to keep the Iranians from one day should they decide to pull the trigger attacking Israel? Well, the Bible tells us they're going to pull that trigger, and it's going to be, I don't think, too long into the future. It's going to be very near. That's why we always want to have Ken Timmerman available wherever he may be in the world. Come to this broadcast table and give us insight and details behind the headlines. Ken, excellent today, as always. Appreciate it, my good friend. Know you're busy, and you got to get back to doing things, so let me let you go, but thank you. We'll talk to you again next week. My great pleasure, Jimmy. God bless. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll be talking with David Dolan. He has a Middle East news update for us. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, A Chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As promised, David Dolan standing by. He has his Middle East news update. This is another portion of our broadcast is key. If you're a student of Bible prophecy, you want to know what's going on in the Middle Eastern region. God's Word lays out a scenario, and as we look at these current events, we see how that scenario is coming so much better into focus and about to be fulfilled. Well, let's go to David Dolan, the crisis with the Russians uh, that's going on between Israel and Russia. I'm wondering, David, if you think this is going to affect the capabilities of operational activities to shut down any movement of military personnel— terrorist military personnel, or munitions like that which was being sent over to Hezbollah there in southern Lebanon. We probably will talk about a couple of other issues, but Israel's not going to slack off. They're going to continue to defend their nation, aren't they? Well, so they've said, Jimmy, we've had statements from the prime minister, defense minister, the chief of staff, and others to that point that Israel will continue as long as Iran continues to ship weapons to Hezbollah via Syria and to use Syrian air bases and other bases for this. Iran has its own bases now there, as we've talked about before that Israel will continue to uh, interdict them, they say. You know, they'll continue to destroy those weapons. That's what happened, of course, this week when Israeli jets went to a target near the Russian air base at Latakia, and they bombed a Syrian position that uh, was known to be holding weapons heading for Hezbollah, Iranian weapons, and they took off. 
20 minutes later, the Syrians shot at a Russian jet, a spy plane that was coming back to that Air Force base that Russia maintains there and has improved and expanded. It's a very up-to-the-minute uh, air base now that they have there in the last few years and shot it down. Fifteen Russians killed, and of course, Syria was responsible. Israel said our planes were already totally out of the area, back in Israel airspace, Israeli airspace. In fact, when this occurred, it was Syria that did it. But the Russians claimed that the Israelis just flew in on the back of the Russian plane coming in. They kind of hid behind it and then took off around it and hit their target. The Israelis say no way they were anywhere near the Russian plane. The Syrians, uh, this is their method. They often shoot after the Israelis have left the scene. Their anti-aircraft missiles start firing. This isn't new. And uh, that Syria is responsible. Well, Russia doesn't want to blame its allies. So Putin is calling it a complicated situation. He hasn't directly blamed Israel, but he has said Israel was part of it, part of the equation. But, Jimmy, you asked if this is going to affect Israel's ability to respond. It already has, because Russia announced uh, the closure. Now, how it can do this is another question, because it really doesn't have the legal right to do this, but it announced a closure of the eastern Mediterranean, both the sea and the airspace and land routes to it between Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, northern Syria, near the Turkish border, down to southern Lebanon. This whole area, they said, is an area that we will be holding military exercises at least until the middle of next week, and it is now closed to all other private, commercial. Israel has to divert some of its flights, in other words. French and U.S. military aircraft operate in that area, as do Turkish aircraft. They'll have to curb their operations if they abide by this. We have to see what the U.S. response will be. But this effectively closes Israeli jets from hitting targets in Lebanon or Syria, at least from that quadrant, from the sea. And most of the time, Jimmy, Israel does fly into these targets from the Mediterranean, because if they fly over land from Israel, they fly over Syrian territory or over Lebanese territory, they're more likely to have missiles fired at them. It limits their ability, let's put it that way. But more than that, Jimmy, is Russia saying, is Putin saying, from now on, we will not allow you, Israel, to attack Iranian targets in Syria. They haven't said that out loud, but what did they say privately to this Air Force chief? We don't know. And they're hinting that this may be the case, that they have decided to come down on Iran's side to support Iran's self-declared ambition to remain in, in Syria and to continue to build up its bases there, Israel vowing that they will get rid of them. And, of course, the U.S. is backing Israel in this, Jimmy. This could be... Uh, a clash developing between the United States and Russia, because the Russian foreign minister, Lavrov, said on Thursday that uh, it's the U.S. presence in eastern Syria and across the river, the Euphrates River in western Iraq, that is the main threat to the stability of Syria today. He said the Assad regime is now in control of most of the country, and the Idlib province is next. To, they've given till mid-October for the rebels to leave there, and then they'll launch an offensive to take that, and they'll control the whole country apart from the eastern desert area where the oil is, where the U.S. is. So he's setting up, possibly, Lavrov is, a confrontation with the United States. And there has been clashes, as you know, this year between U.S. and Russian forces inadvertently a couple times. So this could take place. So it's a very delicate, very, very tense situation, and it comes with many other things going on in Iran and Gaza and terror attacks in Israel, Jimmy, just a very 
difficult period. Of course, these are the holy days between Yom Kippur and the Feast of Tabernacles coming up next week, and usually a time of just joy and peace in Israel and relaxation. Well, I mentioned last week in 73, they were in the middle of a war for their existence. And, Jimmy, the Iranian chief prayer giver in Tehran, the guy that delivers the sermon at the Friday prayers of the main mosque in Tehran, said yesterday on Friday that Israel's days are numbered. He said it's time for Israel to say goodbye. Those were the exact words he used. What do they mean? Are they preparing an attack imminently? This comes after Nasrallah of Hezbollah said also on Thursday that Israel will soon disappear. We have weapons they don't even know about, precision weapons, and they're going to get pummeled. Well, Netanyahu responded at a Bible study, Jimmy, that he holds occasionally at his home. He was there with uh, some of his compatriots studying the Bible, and he made a comment that made it into the news that if Nasrallah thinks he can do that, he has something else coming for him, and that we will uh, pummel Iran and Hezbollah and uh, anybody that joins them. So the war of words has gotten extremely hot, Jimmy, and uh, it looks like we may be on the verge of a full-scale action, and Iran is holding military exercises near the Gulf of Hormuz, and the U.S. has been doing the same. The oil exports, a third of the world's oil that goes by sea comes out of there, so things are just uh, really hot right now, and we'll see where they go, but uh, a lot of prayer is needed for sure over the situation. Absolute tangible evidence that the scenario found in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, Psalm 83, Daniel, chapter 11, is so much in focus it almost could happen within the week, and all of this could explode into what that prophetic scenario calls for in the prophetic Word of God. Fins, that's why we have David Dolan on this broadcast, and we're going to continue to have him at this broadcast table with all this information. Look at a couple of other issues with you quickly, David. We've got a couple of minutes left here. Jewish settlers entering Al-Aqsa. And I guess the Islamic world calls the entire Temple Mount Al-Aqsa as one of their statements that they use. And they did force these Jewish settlers to get up there in light of those Jewish holy days that you were talking about, Yom Kippur and the Feast of Tabernacles. Jewish settlers and those who want to build that temple, they're not going to sit still, are they? Well, no, Jimmy, and uh, everybody knows that if there is a major change in the situation on the Temple Mount or in Jerusalem or the area, it will probably be as a result of another major uh, war. So the fact that the war clouds are building and all of this is happening has many, especially Orthodox Jews, religious Jews, saying the same thing you began. Ezekiel is coming, prophecy is going to be fulfilled, Uh, the God of Israel lives, we're back in our land, these are the days of redemption, and therefore something is probably going to happen in Jerusalem and the Temple Mount as well. That's the expectation, certainly, of many, many people now. Jimmy, I would say it's probably the same sort of buzz in Israel that there was before the 67 war. Mm. Everybody knew it was coming, the Egyptians and Syrians and their allies were all threatening Israel, like today, actions were taking place, there was military maneuvers happening everywhere, like is taking place, violence in Gaza, like is taking place, terror attacks, like we've had this week taking place, and uh, it resulted, of course, in a war, but it resulted in Israel capturing three times as much land as they had before the war in just six days, and of course, most importantly, the eastern half of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. So there's that same sort of level of excitement and expectation, but of course, I mentioned last week also dread, because everybody knows these, quote, precision weapons 
that uh, Hezbollah says they has, Nasrallah says they have, are rockets that will hit cities and maybe will have chemical or even possibly field nuclear devices on them. There will be many casualties in any war that comes. Everyone knows that. So there's dread, but there's also excitement and a sense certainly amongst religious Jews that the God of Israel is in this, his hand will be stayed, and his hand will protect overall Israel's existence. It is not time, nor will it ever be time, for Israel to say goodbye. Well, they'll never say goodbye, and it's so exciting to realize the Prime Minister of the State of Israel is studying the Word of God, and he recognizes where Israel is today, and actually using the Word of God to warn the enemies of what could happen. Very, very exciting report. David, thank you so very much for this Middle East News update. We'll talk again next week, buddy. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. Going to take a break. When we come back, John Rood standing by. He's got a report on the European Union. A lot of activity there. John Rood will be at this broadcast table in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Once again, Prophecy Today presents the School of Prophets Conference, December 10th through the 13th at the Spring Hill Suites Hotel, along the shores of the beautiful Tennessee River in downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee. Join Dr. Jimmy DeYoung as he personally walks you through the Bible and helps you discover important prophetic passages from every book of the Old Testament. Dr. DeYoung will also look at the prophetic passages in the New Testament from the book of Acts right through the book of Jude. Dave James will present graphics and PowerPoint design with a special emphasis on teaching aids for pastors and Bible teachers. This course is great for pastors, teachers, secretaries, and IT professionals as you learn basic principles of graphic design focusing on composition, color, typography, and imaging. These meetings are more intimate because they're smaller in nature. There will be time for Q&A with the teachers and fellowship with participants. For more information, call 423-821-3635. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're moving into the second half hour. Now, you've committed to give me an hour and a half every week so I can take you around the world with our broadcast partners looking at the details behind all the headlines. This is the second half hour. And by the way, we've got now standing by John Rood, who's going to give us his European Union update. But right after that, breaking news coming out of Israel from Itamar Marcus, a very interesting development as it relates to his efforts to stop Mahmoud Abbas and his attendance at the United Nations General Assembly here in America this next week. Stand by for that. But let's go now to John Rood and get the European Union update. This is a key region of the world setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And John, it looks like the real danger, according to those who are observing everything in the European Union, the real danger facing the European Union is the radical right. Now, would that be pertaining to the Islamic threat in the European Union? The countries that are now leaning to the right, the major issue is immigration. Uh-huh. So the Islamic uh, influence is growing exponentially in Europe. And so much of the tensions of these countries towards the European Union is actually a reaction to their uh, policy on immigration. And we've mentioned the European uh, Parliament elections are coming up in June, and the Eurosceptic parties are 
are growing quite well in response. We have entire nations with their current governments. Italy has an entire uh, anti-EU government right now. They can uh, easily force a referendum on European Union membership, just like we've seen in the United Kingdom. The third largest economy in Italy, highly, highly significant. We've just had their elections in uh, Sweden, and now the Swedish Democrats, which is a right-leaning uh, party, they have won close to 18% of the vote. Now they're forced to uh, make a coalition government, and the other two parties refuse to have them enter, so that they're at a deadlock there. Germany's growing an enormous Eurosceptic camp. And there's internal divisions, even um, Merkel's own party almost collapsed her. And so, of course, immigration is working there. In France, we have Eurosceptic major contenders. And so even in the next presidential elections, that'll all come up again. And then, you know, Hungary, just going through these nations. In Hungary, political right Prime Minister Viktor Orban, and he's just been censored. Hungary as a nation was censored in the European Parliament for breaking the EU's core values because he didn't want to go along with the uh, Islamic immigration. Well, and then is that not exacerbating everything, the Islamic radicals coming in with these migrants that are making their way out of both Africa and the Middle East to uh, try to come in. They're sneaking in as under the guise of the fact that they are under harm from their own country. So that's why they're trying to escape and get into Europe. And this is causing everything to grow and gain in power, is it not? Yes, and it's it's interesting that Europe has adopted this policy that's so open to immigration. It used to be a rare thing to see a mosque in Europe as, as we traveled. It's become a fairly common occurrence, especially in in larger cities. But if Europe would try to build churches in most of the uh, Arab countries, well, I would say all of them right now, it's hardly even permitted. Uh, Morocco at one time was the most lenient uh, country, and they they kicked out all of the missionaries. Mm. They're the most lenient. So it's not a reciprocal approach on a government level. It looks like to me that uh, Theresa May is really standing up to the European Union. They had somewhat of an informal summit in Brussels this last week. Next week, they're supposed to get down to business. October is the deadline uh, for Brexit to be completed, and some kind of a deal looks like a no-deal still is the case. But uh, uh, Theresa May standing pretty strong. She's standing with Israel, which is great to see. Is that a part of a political move, or is that just her her conviction? And uh, she's just now bringing that out, but going after uh, the fact that the European Union can't dictate everything as far as Brexit. Uh, I believe it is her conviction. Concerning Brexit, she's been a bit uh, wishy-washy, but I believe that her support uh, for Israel is uh, certainly heartfelt. And it's very timely, as you say, as it a political move very timely right now because Jeremy Corbyn, who's the opposition leader of the, of the Labor Party, they've had just scandal after scandal of anti-Semitism, and it's been going on for several months. He has had direct uh, relationships with known terrorists, and he won't come out and really 
denounce it. He just keeps doing these Band-Aid types approaches. And so it's ready to split up the Labor Party. Theresa May is doing a good thing by making a stand for Israel. And in these meetings, she had a very interesting quote. She said, I stand with Israel as the homeland of the Jewish people. And then finishing off, she said, my answer to the voices of anti-Semitism is that we will defeat you. Mm. My answer to those who say they are fearful is to say, I will always stand with you. So she's bringing up a strong contrast with the Labor Party. Jeremy Corbyn is, is completely in a fix on this issue. He won't back down, and probably he'll end up being removed. Looks like that is going to be the case. Well, if you've been eavesdropping on this conversation, dear friend, you understand why John Rood is a permanent part of the broadcast partner team uh, that comes to the microphones here at my broadcast table to give us the latest information. By the way, it's interesting to note that Great Britain, especially under the leadership of Theresa May, standing with the Jewish state of Israel, has prophetic significance for the future. John, thank you so very much for the report. Appreciate it, buddy. We'll talk again next week. My pleasure, as always. John Rood with the latest information coming out of the European Union, the activities going on surrounding Brexit and everything else the European Union is involved in today, a key region of the world as it relates to Bible prophecy. Daniel talked about the revival of the old Roman Empire. I do believe that the European Union may well even be the infrastructure for the revival of the Roman Empire. Right now we're going to Itamar Marcus. He's in Israel, a longtime broadcast partner with us, good friend. And we've got some breaking news It has just been posted at the Washington Free Beacon, a story that involves palwatch.org, Palestinian Media Watch, which, of course, Itamar is the director of. And, Itamar, this is amazing what's happening. You have put out a story, information, an activity that originated with Pal Watch, and you're doing everything you can to keep from allowing Mahmoud Abbas, who is the president of the Palestinian Authority, and a Palestinian terrorist, you're doing what you can to get the United States to live by their own law and not allow a terrorist to come into, and New York City would be the location where he wants to go to attend uh, the General Assembly of the United Nations. Tell us more of what's just breaking right now. Well, we at PMW sent a letter to the State Department a week ago where we asked that they not allow Mahmoud Abbas, head of the PA, come into the United States and New York City for the U.N. for a very simple reason, that Abbas is head of the Palestinian Authority, he's head of the Palestinian National Fund. Uh, Both of these organizations pay salaries to terrorist prisoners in Israeli prisons. That means including prisoners like the person last week, the terrorist last week who murdered American citizen Ari Folt. He's going to be getting a salary from these organizations, both of them headed by Mahmoud Abbas. Now, American law, since the Taylor Force Act, defines anyone who gives salaries to terrorists. The American law defines the salaries to terrorists uh, as payments incentivizing terror. So now Mahmoud Abbas is then a head of an organization that's incentivizing terror, and American law prohibits the entry of people who support terror. It is very simple equation. 
this is not the only example of Mahmoud Abbas promoting terror. Just a few weeks ago, he, he honored a Palestinian terrorist who's sitting 14 life sentences for organizing terror attacks, and he has honored many, many terrorists in the past, called them heroes on television. So Mahmoud Abbas is a terror incentivizer, and American law prohibits him from being in the country. And we're just asking the State Department to follow American law and not allow him into the country. And the reason the story is with the Washington Free Beacon is because they got a response from the State Department. They basically said that because he's coming to the U.N. and the United States has an agreement with the U.N. to let anyone come in for U.N. business, we'll let them in. We'll let him in. However, that's not really the agreement. The agreement is people of member states have a right to come in. Abbas is not a member of any state. And there have also been precedents of terror supporters who've not been allowed in. A, a U.N. diplomat from Iran was not let in under the Obama administration. So should the United States want, they can prevent, and they should prevent, Mahmoud Abbas from coming in to the United States. Wow. Wow, what a story. And actually, uh, in addition to the Washington Free Beacon, where you can read the story, it's in their paper at their website. I don't happen to have at this point, their website address, but it'll be on our homepage in the top 10 news stories, prophecytoday.com. But you can uh, do a, an internet search. Washington Free Beacon has the story. And uh, Itamar, when we got on the microphone, he said, you've got to do this story. So we're breaking it along as well as the Washington Free Beacon. Thank you for giving us that very important story. We'll stay on top of it, follow out, and see what it does come from your report to the United States State Department. Let me talk about another issue. I actually was uh, wanting to get a hold of you about this. There was a preacher, an Islamic preacher. They have Friday afternoon opportunity to give a sermon there on the Temple Mount at El-Laqsa Mosque. And uh, just the last Friday... Uh, the preacher was talking about the rats who are under the Temple Mount uh, digging it out, where well, they're not talking about the four-legged animals. They're talking about Jewish people. That's how the Islamic world refers to the Jewish people. Uh, but uh, they're saying they're trying to get rid, that the Jews are trying to get rid of a Laksamas so they can build uh, their temple. And I've got a lot of questions about that. Number one I don't see that I know anything, I wondered if you did, uh, that would uh, confirm this by this Islamic preacher. I don't. I, in fact, what I remember is the Palestinians building a 10,000-seat mosque underneath the Temple Mount area, and I don't think they were trying to do away with the foundation of the Al-Aqsa Mosque with that. What's the latest? Well, of course, the Palestinian Authority has been using this libel for the longest time, to incite terror uh, by its people against Israel. They say Israel is digging under the Temple Mount so that should there be an earthquake, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is on a small portion of the Temple Mount, would collapse. So they say it's all part of Israel's scheme to destroy the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Well, in fact, as you said, they're the only ones who are actually building under the Temple Mount. Israel hasn't built under the Temple Mount, even though, of course, we can by Israeli law, but we've decided to respect the Muslim sensitivities, and we have refrained from doing so. Itamar will stay on top of both of these stories with you. Thank you so much for the information, and 
We'll look forward to having another conversation real quickly down the road. By the way, Chak between Feast of Tabernacles and Yom Kippur. Hope you're working on your sukkah today. Thank you very much. I'll be getting to it shortly. Very important conversation with Itamar Marcus explaining the claim by the Islamic preacher last Friday that made a statement the Israelis were digging underneath the Temple Mount. want to stay on top of all of these stories to get the truth to you, my friend. So glad that you could join us here on Prophecy Today. Well, another friend of ours, Itamar, and my next guest, Winky Madad, are pretty good buddies as well, uh, but uh, they're friends that I'd like to be able to call upon to give us the latest information on what may be happening just this last Wednesday, Yom Kippur, the holiest of the Jewish holy days. And Winky, I want to ask you about that, your thoughts about that blessed day for the Jewish people. I can tell you this, a lot of talk about it in Christian circles. I'm talking about Yom Kippur and the holiness of that particular day and how Christians ought to be following an example of holiness. It is key. It's God's plan for each and every one of us. So, Winky Madad, come on to the microphone and let's start talking about it. Just reflect a moment. You don't have to go very long, but when you and your family are going through that special Holy Day Yom Kippur, what are your thoughts? Uh, how are you interacting with God? How, what? Just tell me what uh, a Jewish perspective on that is. Well, Jimmy, I can only tell you about my own personal approach to Yom Kippur, plus of course, what my friends and other people do, and my looking out over Jewish people all over in various degrees. We all approach the day in a sense of, of, of complete solemnitude, if I can make up a word. <laughs> With all the solemnness that we can gather, we feel that we simply put ourselves into uh, the synagogue uh, for many hours, the eve of Yom Kippur, we were there almost three hours, and from 7.30 to just after 7, with a, about a two-hour break. So it needs your full concentration on prayer. It could wear you down, Jimmy. You're fasting. Many of the males will be dressed in white. Uh, someone said it's practicing or rehearsing for your eventual uh, moving on into the other world, because in your Jewish religion you're always dressed in shrouds when you are placed back into the earth. And it's very tiring, too. The prayers are long, but it's, it's a sense of physically wearing you away until you come to terms with what is left, and that is your soul. Hmm. And that, I think, is the essence of Yom Kippur. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's very personal, and I so appreciate you doing that. Now, uh, and let me ask you this one thought as well. I know that in 1973, on the day Yom Kippur, there was an Arab attack on the Jewish state of Israel. Do you, during that 25-hour fast, do you ever think about that? Is that off of your mind, or is the government all thinking about it and being prepared for such an event to happen again? Jimmy, that Yom Kippur of 1973 will really never leave anybody, especially those of us who were here at that time. I had not yet been inducted into the Israeli Defense Forces, so I could not fight. 
personally, I was working at Shari Tzedek Hospital, which at that time was a downtown inner city hospital, not as it is today, on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And we immediately went over to a 12-hour shift, which also was very tiring at times because we began to be serving as a military uh, hospital. So especially, as you can imagine, for a relatively young American, uh, only three years in the country, and there I was uh, running around with the wards and trying to deal with the traffic control, which I was eventually put into overnight, getting drivers to bring nurses and doctors in and out of the hospital. It was heavy, (laughs) right? And uh, something like that does not leave you. Yeah, and uh, there is still that lingering possibility there could be another attack on a Yom Kippur, possibly in the future. Would you not agree? The possibility exists in in minuscule. Uh, you'll remember a couple of years ago the uh, terror tunnels in which Arabs all of a sudden popped out and began running around. While the degree is not the same, the the essence that Israel needs constantly to be on its alert. And if I can bring the story up to date, Jimmy, uh, Mr. Netanyahu, for the past year and a half, has been very firm, uh, basically saying, and now I'm translating for him, we will bomb every time a plane comes in from Iran to Syria and is unloading weapons or or advanced scientific technology, which can improve their missile system uh, all the time. I've heard it said, and we're going to move now from the solemn to the joyful aspect of the next Jewish feast, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. And I've heard it said, Winky, that as soon as that 25-hour fast on Yom Kippur is over, you go outside, start putting up your sukkah. I don't know if it's exactly that quick. Maybe it is. But talk to us about a sukkah. What indeed is a sukkah? And uh, why is it so key to the Feast of Tabernacles upcoming? Well, Jimmy, most people do try to do that. Myself, I began to take out the wooden boards that we put up on our patio that would enclose it together with roofing of palm fronds or, or other sort of material because you're finishing the year, and the first thing you want to do is make sure you're doing the proper thing. You don't want to even let a minute go by and, and fail yourself and your message to God that you're going to be a better person. So everybody runs out and does something after a glass of water or so, uh, just symbolically even. Uh, even, for example, this morning at synagogue, we came in five minutes early just to show that we're anxious to be at prayer and, and, and get the year off to a new start. The, the term tabernacles is, of course, uh, more to be found in the Christian version of the Bible. We call it uh, booths, in which the, according to the story in the Bible, uh, the children of Israel built themselves booths every time they camped out in the desert at another spot. I think there must have been about 36 or 38 stops along the way from Egypt eventually to the land, the Promised Land. And you, in fact, you can see them today in the Sinai or in, in the Negev among the Bedouin uh, in a very sort of primitive way. And so Nowadays, of course, we build them a little stronger because Jews are no longer in the desert. We're somewhere in either in New York, London, or Moscow sometimes, and so it has to be a little bit stronger. But the idea is that God envelops us, and we. It's, someone once said, it's the only mitzvah in which you put yourself 100% into it by simply building a booth 
And then when the holiday comes, you sit down for the festive meal and make the blessing who has commanded us to build a booth. And that word booth, is that uh, sukkah in Hebrew? That's the best that I can find that's been in use in, in my history of learning. It's sukkah. The Hebrew word lasuch, which is the root I won't get into over the radio, it's difficult, but it means to cover over, mm-hmm. as if you're bending over someone. You can even say that a mother, by extension, is is bending over her child to protect him. Mm-hmm. And in Hebrew, you would use the same word. He sochetret al yelled. It's a form of the verb, and that's where it comes from, to, 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 to lean over someone in a pr- protective stance. Now, this booth, or a sukkah, we're going to use that term, uh, then is built right after Yom Kippur. You start it, finish it up by the 15th day of the seventh month of Tishri. And at that point, uh, you and the family do a lot of activities there. You have some of your meals there. You may meet with some of your friends or uh, business partners. The children play there. Some of you people in that world of uh, what it was like when they were traveling even spend the evenings and the entire night there in their sukkah, do they not? Well, strictly speaking, the most Orthodox Jews, your home is outside for the next uh, seven or eight days, depending where you are, seven in Israel, uh-huh. eight uh, outside the land of Israel in the lands of the diaspora and dispersion. And you're supposed to eat all your meals there, play host to your guests. Many people, not me, I admit, will sleep out uh, outside. <laughs> Other people find relaxation of that rule if it's too uncomfortable or it's too cold. But there are others who will do that no matter what comes except for rain. So uh, we move out of the house uh, into the sukkah for seven days, and everything usually, uh, I've known some families even to put a television out there so they don't Mm. have to go back inside and watch. (laughs) Uh, Everything is, is conducted there as much as possible to show that we are Again, placing our trust in God and asking Him to see how we behave on earth, in this sense, to extend, He should extend to us then His protective, enveloping presence. I know the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, says that this particular feast is going to be observed, uh, and I, as the way I understand it, for eternity, but I, I don't know exactly what that means, but I do know that Christians have bought into the concept of celebrating Feast of Tabernacles, and just hundreds and thousands of Christians from all over the world come to join with the Jewish people in Israel and those who've traveled through uh, the land of Israel and made their pilgrimage there. It's always a big celebration, uh, and the Christians and the Jews getting together to honor the Lord through the observance of this celebration. It's a very festive time, isn't it? It is. I really don't know. Maybe you know more than I do, Jimmy, but why the, specifically the Feast of Tabernacles was selected. It might be because of the imagery of uh, the other element of the holiday, which is the four species, a, a palm frond, a closed one, of course, not an open one, uh, with the uh, citrus fruit and the willow and the myrtle branches that we hold in the morning prayers, usually. I won't go into full details, but maybe that sort of recalls to the Christians uh, another element of palm fronds being used on the Easter holiday, and so maybe that sort of cross-pollinated, if I could use that term in a theological sense, but uh, where everybody is welcomed into Jerusalem, as, as Isaiah says, it, would, it will be a house of prayer for all peoples, 
And so we uh, are excited that other people are participating with us at this festive time. Well, and indeed, I'm sure that Christians consider for 3,500 years now, thereabouts, the Jewish people have been observing on an annual basis the Feast of Tabernacles. And then when Zechariah talks about it being fulfilled and everybody coming to Jerusalem, going up to Jerusalem, making Aliyah, uh, to do it through uh, a long period into the future. I think that's the Christians looking at the Jews amazed and excited to be a part of what they are doing as we all look to the future. Winky, thank you for sharing some very personal things about Yom Kippur and then the excitement of Sukkah upcoming. And I hope you get your Sukkah built and ready in just a couple of days. Jimmy, thank you very much. And uh, if anybody of the listeners happen to be here, uh, I hope that they take part in all the activities as much as possible. Visit the booths, the Sukkot, and have a nice time. And again, thank you for having me on the program, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Great report from Winky Madad. He's out building his Sukkah now, getting ready for Sunday sundown and the beginning of Feast of Tabernacles. Well, we're going to have to take a break. We're going to have one more conversation with one of our broadcast partners, David James, standing by. We're going to jump off of Winky's comments about the holiness of Yom Kippur. We're going to talk about holiness. We Christians need to live a holy life and have a holy experience in relationship to our walk with the Lord. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to the last half hour of Prophecy Today. I need you to give me this last half hour to make up 90 minutes of information. Looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy, I've asked you to commit to that each week so we can keep you informed as to where we are on God's calendar of activities for the future. Well, the poll question would be good for you to try to answer in light of that. If you go to my home page, prophecytoday.com, scroll down the left-hand column, and you'll find the poll question. Here's the question. The celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, the last of the seven Jewish feasts, will be celebrated by both the Jews and Christian pilgrims, and they'll do that in Jerusalem. Is this a precursor to the command in Zechariah chapter 14 for all to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in the kingdom to come and on into eternity future? Now that's the poll question. Hope you'll answer it after the broadcast and we'll be able to then get a reaction from those listening as to how we present the information. So do that. Go answer our poll question. And by the way, let me remind you that I'm going to be here in the Chattanooga area, Hickory Valley Baptist Church on Sunday. You do not want to miss that prophecy conference. We now bring to these microphones David James. He's coming to the broadcast table and we're going to have our weekly conversation about an issue that needs to be discussed so we as Christians can understand how we should live our Christian life. 
Just last Wednesday, Yom Kippur was the holiest day in the Jewish feast days, or should I say, holy holidays, and it was a very holy day. So I thought it'd be great for David and I to discuss the concept of holiness. We'll do that in a moment. But David, before we get to our topic in today's discussion, I want to encourage our listeners to consider going to one of our tours to Israel. You can go on that tour. We're all excited about you joining our sons as a tour teacher and a Bible teacher and a tour guide in just over about a month. I personally think that you bring a lot to the table, David, as a Bible teacher of over 30 years and with a unique perspective as an expert on the topic of God's plan through the ages. Well, I'm really excited about this trip, and I know that uh, you and Jimmy and Rick all are experts in prophecy, and uh, you bring your own unique perspective to the Bible teaching and the land of the Bible, Israel. At the same time, I've been teaching, as you said, for over 30 years. I've taught Bible survey, both Old Testament and New Testament. I've taught the life of Christ. So I, I think I bring that knowledge to the table that would be helpful for anyone who would join us on a trip. And then, as you and I have discussed many times, I've taught God's plan through the ages for uh, nearly 20 years now, and I, uh, I think that also brings a perspective that will be helpful and enlightening to anybody who would join us on a tour. So I'm very glad to uh, have this opportunity to expand my ministry in this way. Well, we're thrilled also, David, and I'm absolutely convinced, knowing how you teach God's plan through the ages, it's going to enhance our study while we're in the greatest classroom in the world, the State of Israel. And if you're interested in joining David and our boys on this tour to Israel in the end of October, 1st of November, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel. You can find out all the information you need, the exact dates, itinerary, the cost, and everything else. Go to Joshua Travel, prophecytoday.com. David, let's get back to our topic for today. I touched on the topic of Yom Kippur with Winky Madad a moment ago, but I would like for us to dig deeper into this important day and how it relates to holiness. First of all, could you briefly explain for our friends the purpose of Yom Kippur? Well, the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, is first mentioned by that name, Day of Atonement, in Leviticus 23:27, and that phrase is used three times, both in the next verse as well as in chapter 25. But actually, the concept goes back to Leviticus 16, in verse 29, where the Lord tells Moses, This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls, and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and it is a statute forever. So it's the one day a year 
that God set aside for the high priest to go into first the tabernacle and then later into Solomon's temple, go into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, and he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, which is also known as the mercy seat, because it is the portable throne of God here on the earth when he dwelt among his people. And so it is the time when uh, sins are atoned for, national sins as well as the personal sins for the people in order to appease God's wrath. And and, uh, the writer of Hebrews, uh, quoting the Old Testament, says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Well, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, or actually the Day of Covering, is considered the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. I think it'd be good for us to think through and remind everybody, since Yom Kippur is observed by the Jewish people today, however, there is no temple, no Ark of the Covenant, and no priest. Just explain what they do today, David. Well, they spend a time in prayer. It's the time when attendance at synagogue is the highest. And in fact, even many secular Jews attend synagogue on Yom Kippur. As opposed to the normal three times of prayer, they actually have five times of prayer. And the prayer services also include private and public confessions of sin. And there's a unique prayer dedicated to the high priest who would be in place if the temple were in place. So I think it also not only looks back to the previous year in which there were sins that were committed that need to be uh, dealt with. I think it also looks forward to the Jewish hope of the future temple and the time that they will be able to practice and observe Yom Kippur in all its fullness. Now, with all of that information, let's move to the concept of holiness, which is found throughout the entire Bible. I was looking uh, at Strong's Concordance the other day. Over 500 times, I think, holy or holiness is mentioned. And it's probably quite a bit of confusion about holiness, or actually what it means to be holy. Get into that for us. Sure. Well, I think many tend to think of holiness as following a set of rules, and these usually end up being man-made. And this is exactly what the Pharisees did, and as a result, they place an impossible burden upon the average person. And we tend to see this trend in holiness churches and denominations and some other groups today that tend to have very strict codes of conduct, including dress and personal appearance, but just like the Pharisees, these often go beyond the Word of God. And, And this almost inevitably leads to legalism, which is when we judge someone's spirituality based upon how much they conform to a set of external rules that aren't necessarily stated explicitly in Scripture. So I do think there is some confusion. I think it's uh, good that we're discussing this. Yeah, then what is the biblical definition of holy and also the definition of holiness? Well, going back to your reference to uh, your search in Strong's Concordance, I actually used uh, my Logos Bible software to get uh, an exact count. Either holy or holiness appears 669 Mm. times in 598 verses, and the first mention is in Exodus 3, verse 5, where Moses encounters the Lord uh, on Mount Sinai, and the Lord said, Don't draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. And then the last mention of holy
holy or holiness is found in Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, where it talks about, uh, let him who is holy, let him be holy still, talking about the way it will be in the future. So the concept of holiness itself has the idea of being set apart to God. The most basic idea is to be set apart for the purpose of being pure and undefiled before the Lord. God is holy because he's separate from and undefiled by the creation, which is now fallen and characterized by sin and full of all types of wickedness and evil. And so Peter actually says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, quoting from Leviticus chapter 11, he said, He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Be holy, for I am holy. And so the idea is that just as God is set apart from all forms of wickedness and evil, those who are believers are also to be set apart from wickedness and evil in our daily lives, in our thinking, in our conduct, in the things that we say, the things that we participate in, that we are to be set apart to God for the purpose of worshiping Him with our lives and doing what He would have us to do and walking before Him and walking before the world and having a good testimony of what it means to be a child of God. David, you mentioned the book of Leviticus, and I've studied the book of Leviticus. Technically, it's for those who would do the sacrificial system and activities and the standard for those priests who would perform those sacrifices, and then how do you worship in a temple or a tabernacle? So that's the technical application of it. The spiritual application, the word holiness used 87 times in Leviticus, which I think is a great study if you want to understand holiness. David, do you think that the church today has lost a sense of holiness and what it means to be holy in our daily lives? Well, I think so. And one thing I've thought of while, as I was preparing for this is while we don't agree with the Roman Catholic Church at all, it's heretical and apostate, one thing that the Catholic Church did achieve in the building of its cathedrals and basilicas was inspiring a sense of awe when people entered into these places of worship, much like the temple was. And again, I'm not advocating for Roman Catholicism. I'm just saying that that is different than what we see, uh, especially in the most modern church buildings. And I'm not saying it's wrong to build pole buildings and, and all that, but I think it does have an effect. And, I, and while holiness is a matter of the heart, I think we have largely lost that sense of all when it comes to the holiness of God. I don't think we have to wear suits or dresses to worship the Lord in spirit and truth, but the fact is I think so many are so casual in their attitudes that they wear things to church that they would never wear to a wedding, for example. And this isn't directly related to holiness, but it does connect with our sense of awe, and I think that sense of awe of God does lead to holiness in our personal lives. And and I think for many, there's not much separation from the world in the way we think or the things that we say or do, and many believers are not only in the world, but are largely indistinguishable from the world. Well, that's a great thought. In the world, but they're not indistinguishable from the world. What are some of the practical ways that believers, David, as we always try to conclude with something practical, how can believers work to be more holy in, in, in our, not only they, but our daily lives as well? Well, Paul says in a very well-known passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. And that 
connects directly to Yom Kippur. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this can only begin first when someone has trusted Christ as their Savior. In fact, the word for saint is related to the Greek word for holiness or holy. And so you must first be a believer, and that is the first step toward holiness. And then as we allow the Holy Spirit to work out uh, in our lives, as we respond to His convicting work, as we confess our sins, as we try to be separate from the world in the things that we do and that we say, the entertainment that we choose to participate in, even the friends that we choose sometimes, these can all be things that help us to be holy because the Lord is holy. You know, I love the Word of God. And when I look at the Word of God, I don't see it as a set of rules. You started with this, that we have to abide by to be holy. But because we know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit living within us, he empowers us to look at the instructions and simply follow the instruction book. (laughs) You know, if I was having to build something for one of my grandchildren for their birthday or Christmas, I'd look at the instruction and try to follow them. That's what God's Word is. Great, great discussion, David. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll do this again next week, buddy. All right. I look forward to it. Praise the Lord. We're going to take a break. When I come back, I'm going to open the Bible. We're going to take a look at the book and consider all the current events we've discussed and see how they fit into the prophetic scenario for the end times. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. 
on Prophecy Today weekend. Our broadcast partners came to this broadcast table, and they were here for the purpose of replacing fake news with the truth. That's correct. I did that on a national broadcast yesterday, and we are doing it today with our broadcast partners. What are the details, the real truth behind the headlines? Well, my broadcast partners bring that information to us. You can trust them that they will give you the truth. If you missed any of their conversations, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. You'll be able to listen to each and every one of the conversations I had with my broadcast partners. By the way, when you're on the website, look up our tour. It's coming up the end of October to beginning of November. David James is going to be teaching on that particular tour. Our guys will be there to help get everybody around and have a great time. And be sure to tell a friend. They need to know what you know. Pass the information along to them and have them pass it along to somebody else. We need to network with this information so we can recognize the times in which we're living, the times in which Jesus Christ is going to shout and take us out of here at the rapture of the church. Now, having said that, let me take a prophetic perspective on this week's news with you as we rehearse what our broadcast partners had to say. Ken Timmerman in the catbird seat back in Washington, D.C., brought forth the information of a Russian plane being shot down over Syria. Now, that was not Israel that shot the plane down. It was a Syrian aircraft. Fake news is saying that Israel used the Russian aircraft to hide behind and then to attack a transportation unit trying to take munitions and military forces over to Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. The truth be known, the Israeli F-16s were back in Israeli airspace prior to this incident taking place. The Russian aircraft was a propeller-driven aircraft moving very slowly, a big aircraft, a recon aircraft. And when the Israelis hit and got back home, the Syrians, who have a Russian-made defense system, started firing their missiles from ground to air and mistakenly took out that Russian aircraft. Well, that's the true story, and that's how I was telling you we take fake news and make it the truth. But let me also give you prophetic news. Russia is going to be a key player in the days to come. That's Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 2. They're referred to as Magog. There are other players that are going to be involved in that alignment of nations. They would be Syria, Turkey, Iran. Oh, by the way, those are the players in Syria today. So we can see the stage being set for Bible prophecy written some 2,500 years ago to take place. David Dolan had our Middle East News update. He reported to us that the Israeli prime minister holding a Bible study also warned that Israel will continue to defend itself. He was holding that Bible study and looking at the rebirth and the regeneration of the Jewish state of Israel, and he said that the greatest essence of renewal is a study of the Word of God, is an expression of real life. 
Well, in that Bible study, he talked about the fact that he is going to retaliate. The prime minister said Israel is going to have to protect itself. That's God's plan. Also, at the same time, the Lord will intercede. In fact, interestingly, in Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 to 45, the Antichrist will play a role in that protection of the Jewish nation. And then Ezekiel 38, verse 18, through Ezekiel 39, verse 6, says the Lord intercedes to wipe out all of Israel's enemy. Itamar Marcus said that the Islamic preacher that spoke last Friday called Jews rats, and he said those rats, the Jewish people, were digging out underneath the Temple Mount. Well, that is not a true statement. They are not digging out under the Dome of the Rock. Now, they said they were digging out under Al-Aqsa Mosque so that they could build the temple. The temple is going to be built where that gold dome building is. That's a sacred piece of real estate. Jews are not allowed on that piece of real estate. It was total subterfuge, but that's how it's going to be in the end times. Jerusalem, a cup of trembling It's going to be intoxicating for those who control the Temple Mount, and today it is the Palestinian Islamic leaders setting the stage for ultimately that scenario to be fulfilled. Winky Madad, he joined us, and we talked about what he's been doing since Yom Kippur. They started building their tabernacle there in Winky's home in Shiloh. Uh, That's, in fact, where they celebrated tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, when the Jewish people came into the land. I want to tell you, Zechariah chapter 14, I've already mentioned it, it is a command to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles into the kingdom that is to come, and also into eternity future. You better know something about the Feast of Tabernacles. We're going to be involved in that feast throughout all of eternity. John Rood is the man who covers the European Union for us. We always get a hold of him. He was talking about the spread of Islam there in Europe. It's the biggest danger facing the European Union And this caliphate that they want to build a worldwide kingdom is a part of the eschatology Uh, for the Islamic people. They want to rule and control this entire world. And then, David James, we had our weekly conversation. We focused on holy and holiness. What is holy? How do you define holy? And what is holiness? Well, the Bible says the Lord is holy. He told us to be ye holy even as he is holy. And what's so thrilling to me is that when I come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live within me, and then I'm able to understand the instructions, not a law that I can't keep, but the instructions as to how to live a holy life. Great conversations from all of our broadcast partners. Be sure to listen to them if you missed any of them. But may I remind you this, after we look at a prophetic perspective on this week's news, there's really only one thing to say, and that is that the rapture of the church is the next event in God's calendar of activities. Jesus will shout, Archangel will shout, Trump of God will sound, and you and I who know Christ as our Lord and Savior will be caught up to be with him forevermore in the heavenlies. Now, having said that, Is there anything else for me to say except this? Let's keep looking up until... 
Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.